growing in grace. By now you know we have monthly challenges where we are testing the sort of stretching and asking you to stretch your grace muscles just a little bit, working on how you can show grace and uh, let that overflow out of your life. Understanding it is important, but living it is also important, and may we not miss that. The, the grace challenge for the month of September is a very special one. We're asking you to go on a digital detox and uh, as you go on that digital detox, basically some of you have, and we talked about this last week because September 1 happened yesterday, we talked about how it's not a total, you know, becoming a Luddite, going, you know, converting to the Amish faith and so forth. It, it has to do with um, taking a sabbatical from social media. So we're asking you to delete your Facebook, your Twitter, your Instagram. We're asking you to delete all of those social media apps in hopes that uh, you will use that to encourage you to actually be sociable. And so uh, I don't know how many of you have taken up the challenge. I'm not going to ask for you to to uh, raise your hand. I'm certainly not going to ask for you to tweet it out today. Uh, but if you uh, have taken up the challenge, we're about 24 hours in. I'm taking the challenge and I've noticed this is challenging. I didn't realize how much and how often, of course, a lot of church stuff and, and, and ministry stuff happens on social media. We're, by the way, we're shutting down the uh, the uh, church social media. We've got the, this image up that you see of the digital detox, and we are just going cold turkey for a month. We're not asking you to do anything that we aren't willing to do, but it is challenging. Uh, when you are uh, feel that urge you to grab your phone and check what everybody else is doing, you, you sort of got the fear of missing out or you want to check pictures or whatever, uh, use that opportunity. See, it's, it's about disconnecting, but it's not just about disconnecting. It's about using that to reconnect to other people. So when you have that urge to grab your phone, open up Facebook, open Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, or what, what have you, to instead of doing that, since you've deleted the app, then maybe think about, well, who could I pray for? Or who could I call? Or who might I send an encouraging text to? Okay, so it's not just about the absence of something. The, the measure of grace is that we're giving our presence toward people. We're trying to be more present, certainly with God and with those around us. So use this month as an opportunity. If you haven't taken up the challenge yet, I'll, I'll encourage you right now. Just get out your phones, uh, delete your apps, and uh, work on every time you would naturally open those up to connect with someone. Take someone out to coffee, pray for someone, or send them an encouraging text. So if you haven't, uh, join us uh, for the month of September. We're going to uh, be on this journey together. Uh, we are on Sunday mornings in a series called Margin. And this uh, series today will be actually be the last of this series, but it's about living within God's boundary lines and how his boundary lines for us are really designed to be a blessing and help us live that abundant life that we would like to have. Today, of course, being Labor Day weekend, we're talking about the subject of work. I want to read to you from Proverbs. If you're a Bible follow-alonger, then get out your Bible and follow along. Proverbs chapter 22, sayings of the wise man. Verse 29 is the last verse of Proverbs 22. And the wise man wrote this. Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will serve before kings. 
he will not serve before obscure men. So when we're talking about working well and what that means, as we begin that thought, I want to tell you a story about a, a young man named Walter Carr. Walter Carr just got his first job this past summer with a company called Bellhop Movers. And he was naturally, you know, kind of one of these two guys in a truck organization. And he was going to go out and he was supposed to be at the job site at 7 a.m. that morning. What he realized the evening prior is that his car wouldn't start. He couldn't get it. Something was wrong. And so he he thought, well, maybe I'll take the bus. But there weren't any buses that would get him to the work site on time. And so I thought, well, I'll try and call friends. He called, texted several friends, and nobody was available to take him to work that early that morning. So what did Walter Carr do? Well, let's see. Walter Carr of Homewood, Alabama, was getting ready to start his first day on the job, his first job. But the night before he started with that moving company, his car broke down. So Walter started walking 20 miles to get there, starting at midnight. And he made it to the home he was supposed to pack up, the Lamy family of Pelham, Alabama. It was two days later his boss at Bellhop Moving walked Walter over to a group of cars. One of those cars was about to be his. This is my car. I'd like it to be your car. I really think that yeah, it's in much better hands with you than it is with me. I couldn't uh, think of uh, a better way to... Walter says he hopes his story helps others. And right there, the family at the home he walked to all night long to help move. You've changed all of our lives. Walter, you have no idea how many lives you've changed and inspired. You have no idea. Walter tonight on his way with help from the family he moved and from the boss he moved with his determination. Alter, an example for us all. Thanks for watching here tonight. I'm David Muir. I hope to see you right back here tomorrow. Good night. Walter Carr certainly did set a positive example, and it's the living out of Proverbs 22:29. A man who is skilled, another, another translation of that says a man who is excellent, a man who is committed to his work will serve before kings. He'll not serve before obscure men. See, that's why Walter doesn't know it, but this morning about 700 folks who never met him before are hearing about Walter because of his commitment, because of his dedication to excellence in his work. Now, I don't know Walter's story, Walter's background, but it wouldn't surprise me to hear that he was a Christ follower because those are that's the, the way that Christ followers should and ought to work. When we work well, the world notices because it's so rare. And most importantly, even beyond, you know, getting on the news and and having your story going viral and all of that, even beyond that. Even beyond the world noticing, what matters most is that God notices when you and I work well. And so this Labor Day Sunday, uh, Sunday of Labor Day weekend, we're going to talk about work. First, we need to understand in Genesis chapter 2 that work is God's design. Work has always been God's design. It wasn't just something that was a punishment to Adam after the fall. It was there right in the beginning, before the fall. Turn to Genesis chapter 2. If you're already there, you're going to look at verse 7 and following. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now note this. The Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden and there he put the man he had formed. You wonder why God put Adam in the garden 
And what kind of garden must it have been? I have no doubt that it was the closest thing that this earth will ever know to utopia. But look at the reason is explained in verse 15 of Genesis chapter 2. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to enjoy it, to just loaf around, to go around and say, look at how pretty the flowers are and and how beautiful the the trees are. No, he took put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. This is interesting if you think about it, because God could have in that perfect world created a world where the trees were perfectly in bloom all the time and the leaves never fell and the branches never needed to be trimmed. But no, he didn't do that. He could have made a a perfect garden where the flowers were always in bloom and never had weeds get in amongst never never needed to be thinned out. He could have formed a garden where the grass was perfectly the same level the entire time. He could have made our entire world where it needed no sustaining, no tending, no maintenance, no care, but he didn't. He created a world which you and I were intended and created to tend and look after and take care of. And you and I, when we perform our work, we are a part of the bigger picture of what God did in creation. See, when you and I think of work, we think of nine to five, Monday through Friday, or if you may have different hours than that. But we think of the the 40 hours of week that we put in, and that's part of work. But work is not just that which you are paid for. It is, in truth, that which you are made for. Some of you have heard of stories of folks who work very hard their entire lives. They build up a retirement. They they get to retirement, and they they leave work, and they, they get the golden watch, and they go home, and all they want to do is nothing. All they want to do is sit on the couch and watch TV, and not too long after that, they'll die. I have a stroke or a heart attack. There's something wired within us that we're not made to sit around and do nothing all the time. Now, the work that you do in retirement may not be something that you get paid for, but God designed you to have a purpose, a reason for getting up in the morning, tasks to do, things to accomplish. That's just a part of this world that we live in. Why? Because work, as we understand in the next point, is a blessing. Um, I don't know if you heard the story of Johnny Bobbitt. Johnny Bobbitt is a homeless Marine out in Pennsylvania. Johnny Bobbitt was on the side of a road in, in the bad area of town, and a young lady by the name of Kate McClure came alongside uh, where he was and pulled over, not because she was stopping to help him, but because she had run out of gas. Johnny saw the situation, saw this damsel in distress, and said, no, this isn't. You should not be in this neighborhood alone, a young lady walking by herself. As she got out of her car, he said, no, please stay there. Lock your doors and I'll be right back. And so he took and went and got an empty gas can and took the last twenty dollars that he had, walked to the gas station himself, filled up the gas and put it in her car for her. She was so taken aback by this gentlemanly gesture that she took a, a, a picture with him. She she and her boyfriend took a picture with Johnny. And she did what we all do in 2018 whenever we're moved to action. We start a GoFundMe. As soon as she started a GoFundMe, she said, I want to help Johnny get out of where he is. I want to bless him so we can get him a first and last month's rent, so we can uh, maybe get him a, a small little apartment, get him back on his feet, and just help him and bless him in that way. The, 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 the GoFundMe campaign went viral, and she raised over $400,000 For Johnny Bobbitt, who 
is a homeless Marine, but he has deep struggles with addiction. And though she meant well, this has not been a blessing to him. She, they've tried to work out an arrangement. They gave him a, a certain percentage. They, she gave Johnny Bobbitt $25,000 to get started and, and, and wanted to help him. And, and what was supposed to be used for living arrangements and clothing and furniture and, and everything to get started. You see, if he had been a good steward, that $400,000, I mean, he could have had it made for the rest of his life. But he took that first 25000 and he squandered it and he used it in drugs and alcohol. And so they began to withhold it. And so it went to court. And just last week, the judge ruled that they have to give Johnny Bobbitt's all the $400,000. And I'm sure somebody thinks that's compassionate. But they misunderstand. That will not be a blessing. Because the blessing is not the money. The blessing is the work that brings the money. We see somebody that's struggling. We see somebody that's hurting. In the tragedy of American passion, what we often do in our country is just throw money at the problem. That's not a blessing. A true blessing is teaching someone to work. I'm not coming down on Johnny Bobbitt's. I'm saying, making the point that sometimes we think that blessing someone is, is blessing them when we're just giving them money. And that's not truly being a blessing. You want to be a blessing to someone, you teach someone to work. Since we live in 2018, I've decided to start Tyler, my son, who's 13, his own GoFundMe page. This is, this is, this is a, this will be a blessing to Tyler. He's got his little mowing business. He mows anywhere from two to four lawns a week and, and he's been doing that for a couple of years. And he does a good job. Very proud of him. When, when we started, he started on our lawn and I'd watch him very carefully. And I'd show him that you have to walk around the yard, look for trash and look for things to pick up and kind of figure out how you're going to mow it. And we talk about the importance of as you're pushing the lawnmower, you go all the way to the end so you don't leave any extra pieces of grass that haven't been cut at the very end. And as you're going around the perimeter of the yard, you don't cut any corners. And there's beauty and value in a perfectly straight line. And how good it feels to hold the trimmer right and trim it at just the exact angle as you come along. And when you, when you finish and you either sweep up the clippings or you dump them in the trash can, how the pride of a, of a job well done. You see, I'm blessing my son in teaching him to work for the rest of his life. Whatever happens, he'll know how to mow a lawn. And he can make very good money at it if he's diligent and faithful. The point is, work is a blessing. God gave it to us to be a blessing. And when we help others learn to work, we'll be a blessing. Next time you see someone holding a sign, the most compassionate thing you do might not be able to hand them some money, but rather say, hop in the car with me, come to my house and mow my lawn. Because you're blessing them by teaching them to work. It's a, it's a powerful thing. The scriptures say there is deep, deep blessing within the realm of work. Work is a blessing to everyone. It, it helps provide food. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 11 says this, whoever works his land, did you catch it? Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Over in the New Testament, 2 Thessalonians, Chapter 3, verse 10, the Apostle Paul writes this, Day 
day and night, or even when we were with you, we gave you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Paul says, if, if, if a guy is hungry, he'll get hungry. When he's hungry here, he'll start moving and doing the things that's required to get the food in his stomach. But you just given that, you're short-circuiting the process. So you can provide food for yourself and for others when you work. The second thing is you can provide for your family. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, the Apostle Paul says, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for the members of his own household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Paul says, if you're a Christ follower, if you're the head of your household, you should be providing for your family. And he goes farther. I mean, he takes, he's quite serious about it. He says, if you don't do that, that's worse than being an unbeliever. That's shameful because you're supposed to be working to provide for your family so you're not a burden so you're not a burden to the church. So you're not a burden to the society that you live in. So you're not a burden to your neighbor. Work is a, a good thing. And work is also a blessing for helping others. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. This is so good. He's speaking to people who had come out of the world. Some of them had been thieves. He says this specifically to them. He says, he who has been stealing must steal no longer but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. The thief didn't have to worry about stealing. If he learned a useful trade, he could provide for himself and be able to share and bless others by the, the, by the fruit of his labor. I would like to think about this. There are so many things in our world that we benefit from other people's work. I happen to be at this restaurant. I don't know if you've heard of them. Um, I went by last night because we're in the period of fasting right now. I'm not. And I bought a spicy chicken sandwich. And I was thinking about what it took... To get me this spicy chicken sandwich. I mean, someone at the paper mill had to work to create this bag. And someone in an ink company made this red dye to be printed on the bag. Someone also probably at the paper mill, but in a different department, made these paper napkins so that I could clean myself as I eat. Uh, Of course, at Chick-fil-A, you don't just get a regular bag. You get a foil bag that keeps it nice and warm. And this chicken sandwich is, well, it's 12 hours old, but still warm. No, I'm kidding. Someone, someone at the, the foil company came up with this design so that people's sandwiches would stay warm just a little bit longer. Someone packed those and shipped those. There was a farmer who raised some chickens somewhere. God rest their soul. There was truckers who brought the chickens to market. There was a processing plant that processed them and delivered them. There was all these different uh, architects and and construction workers and uh, landscapers and people who, who developed this building out at Maple and Ridge. There's employees and managers and trainers, all for the purpose 
of putting into my hands at 9.45 last night a delicious spicy chicken sandwich. Save that for the end of the sermon. You see my point? Work is a blessing. We don't fully understand what kind of blessing it is. But we're a part of something, especially in this country, in the free market. I'm going to give this to my son because he worked so hard yesterday mowing lawns. We're a part of something in a free market where everybody, if they do their job well, it creates this continuous cycle of work and jobs and employment and money, work and jobs and employment and money. So... When the unemployment rate goes down, as it is in this country, you see the markets go up because people are working and productive. Work is a blessing. God forbid that God's people would ever go to work and complain. They say, oh, preacher, you just went too far now. You don't know who I work for. I don't work for the lovely folks at Chick-fil-A. And they're cussing and swearing and telling bad jokes. I hate my job. I hate my boss. He's crooked. Listen, no one forced you to work there. In a free market, you get to work wherever you want. No one forced you to sign a contract saying, I'll work for this person. So if you're in a job, you are being paid by someone. You better be grateful and be the best worker that you can be. You say, oh, no, 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 no. Whoa, 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 preacher. I don't have it easy like you. I do not have to just work for 30 minutes a week. I got to work all week long. (laughs) I'm usually unflappable. That flapped me. God gave us the blessing of work. So use your gifts and abilities to work. I'm not saying that what you have right now is the perfect job, but maybe step back for a second and think about chapter, uh, 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 10. 1 Peter 4 verse 10 says this, each of you should use whatever gifts you have been given to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Now, I've worked all different kinds of jobs. And not all of them were my calling and my passion, but they were a part of getting to the point where I'm doing what I love and where I do what I'm called to do. Where I I, I know that this is what God's gifted me and, and made me to do, and I hope that you'll find that as well. We have lots of people at Northside who work in this kind of way. They use their natural gifts and abilities to serve, not just where they work, but to serve in the kingdom as well. Thinking of Karen Wagner and Archie Mock, who are usually up there where the camera is, uh, when there's a wedding or a funeral. They love music. They love singing and helping others to sing and singing together and training other people. Karen's written so, rewritten so many songs so they could be sung in a cappella. And when you go to a wedding or a funeral, you can tell the people are who've never heard, heard good quality a cappella four-part harmony before. Because they're sitting here, or somewhere in here, and all of a sudden the singers start singing, and there's this action happens. Because they're looking, and they're saying, who did that? 
Well, I know there's lots of singers, but Karen and Archie are a couple of that, that put all those singers together. Eric Andre, pull out your handout. Eric Andre used his skills of design and made this what I'm is just so proud of, the, the Northside Church of Christ logo. You see it on our handouts, the bulletin. You see it on the website, social media. He did that. He used his talents and abilities to serve other people. Sam Corcoran. Sam Corcoran teaches down in the safari wing. The other day, it was a Sunday afternoon, Grace walks in with the MacBook and says, Hey, Dad, can we get on Google Earth? Sure. Miss Sam taught us about getting on Google Earth and showing where all the lands of the Bible are. And she was showing me stuff and how to navigate around Jerusalem. It was so cool. Sam's a great teacher. She's really good at it. And she uses her talent to get little kids excited about learning the Bible. That's, that's wonderful. Matt Babish is a fantastic decorative painter. When you walk down the safari wing and you go, man, alive, who did this? There was a whole team of people who did it. But Matt Babish used his talents and abilities to recreate a true safari going down the hall. It's amazing. He, he did that for the teen room as well. He uses his abilities and his gifts to serve in the kingdom. Recently, we upgraded the projector so you can actually see the projection now. And we got the third projector here and we got the, 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 the boxed out thing. David Holt managed all that. He used his mind for engineering. He created a 3D model of the auditorium so he could show the elders what this was going to look like. That's using your talents and abilities. Frank McKee is a very successful businessman. He uses his uh, success principles and he coordinates Financial Peace University to help other people learn how to be good stewards. And he and Larry and Brad all work together using their talents to help other people. Um, there's just uh, there's a, a ton of people that I can't list all of them, but they practice First Peter 4.10. We are designed... To work using our gifts. And when you use your gifts, we feel God's pleasure. power come from to see the race to its end from within God made me for a purpose. But he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure.
only time I've ever looked like that while running is if I step on a Lego. The point is that Eric Little, who was a missionary to China, understood his purpose, but he also understood that God had made him fast. And when he ran in the 1924 Olympics, he felt God's pleasure and he was able to honor the Lord by using his talent in a way that brought light to who Eric was and to what he was doing as a missionary. And you say, well, I'm not a runner. I, I'm not a speaker. I'm not like any of the other talented people you mentioned. All right, what is my calling? What is my gift? Four simple questions to ask. Number one, what makes you lose all track of time? What do you do and you just get so involved in doing it that you just lose all track of time? That's how I know preaching's my gift. I lose all track of time. Number two, what comes naturally to you? What is it that you just do and it, it just you get you're so natural at it that the learning curve is very limited. Number three, what draws compliments and attention? What do people say? You know, you're good at that. I wish I could do that like you. That that's a good example that you're a good idea that you're heading toward your calling. And number four, what is it that recharges you? After a long day and you just want to do nothing else but hit the pillow. What, what is it that you do that recharges and rejuvenates not just your body but your soul? You see, it's not just about working. We are called to work well. This is the verse that was read for us in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. As working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. You, 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 you got mad at me because I told you you didn't have to be at your job. And that if you are at a job, you shouldn't complain. You certainly shouldn't gossip about the boss. And you should give your very best. And you say, well, wait a second. You don't know my boss. And, and I can kind of answer, yeah, I do. If you're a Christ follower then your boss is Jesus Christ. You work, when you go into work on Tuesday morning, you work not to serve your boss, your direct, your manager, your oversight, your supervisor. You work to please the Lord, whatever you do. So my question is, what kind of worker are you? Do you work with excellence or do you just phone it in? And it drives me crazy. Those two words, good enough, oh, no two words get more under my skin. It doesn't matter what it is. If you're going to do it, do a good job. Do it with excellence. Jesus would say it like this. If someone forces you to go one mile, if the box gives you a project at the last minute that you really don't have time to do, but you don't have any other option, if he forces you or she forces you to go one mile, go with them too. Turn in the best project or, or report or whatever you have to do that you've ever done in your life. Go with them the second mile. Not because you're working for them, but because you're working for him. May we do whatever work we do with excellence. Is there a difference between when the boss is watching and when the boss is not? There shouldn't be. Not if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. I love what Martin Luther King Jr. said about this. He said, if a man is called to be a street sweeper... He should sweep streets as Michelangelo painted. Uh, Beethoven composed music, or as Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven look down and say, Here lives a great street sweeper. 
who did his job well. Your, wa- your work should not be a distraction from your relationship with Jesus. Your work should be a reflection of your relationship with Jesus. I, I know I drew out the Chick-fil-A already this morning. Do you know what the A stands for in Chick-fil-A? The A stands for grade A quality. Most of you know that I was able to do a little premiere lunch this last week and then camped out. I got to, I got to tour the Chick-fil-A facility and go into the kitchen. They don't even allow you to take pictures or video back there. It's very top secret, okay? So, what I'm about to tell you, you can tell no one else. In every station, whether it's squeezing lemons or making salad or, or hand-breading the chicken or, or even the ingredients that they put, they don't put the cheap generic off-brand you know, or, uh, Oreos. They put the real Oreos in their shakes. They put real, authentic Georgia peaches in their shakes. They use the real thing because Truett said, if you're going to make food, make the best food you can. May it be grade A quality. It's for that reason I wish we had the letter A at Northside. Northside A. So really, I want us to be the best church of people. Not perfect, but the best that we can be. If you're a ministry leader, and you've been doing it for 5 or 10, 15 years, and you're just phoning it in, and you're just like, well, good enough, God forgive you. If you're doing the Lord's work and you're not doing grade A quality work. May we do our best at whatever we do. May we bring grade A quality work to it. One final warning and then we'll quit. You've got to keep a key balance. It's, it's so important that we understand that work is what you do, but it's not who you are. We've got to keep balance. Remember in, in Genesis chapter 2, God created man to work, but then on the seventh day, God rested. And he called that in the Old Testament the Sabbath day. Now, the Sabbath rule was Old Testament. The Sabbath principle is universal. Always on the Labor Day sermon, I got a few people who are workaholics. They can't stop. They won't stop. They think that it's sinful to stop and to rest. And you need to understand that that overworking is pride and sinful just as much as underworking and laziness is. We've got to keep those two things in balance. So may we keep balance between work and rest. To work well, you have to rest well. And if you want to rest well, there's no better thing that will help you sleep well than to put in a good day's work. But keep those two things in balance. You know, our world is made better by our work. But our eternity is made better by the work of Jesus. And if you're not in Jesus, if you're not following Jesus, if you don't know Jesus, I want to invite you to obey him this morning, to follow him by putting him on in baptism, by trusting that he is Lord, and by living your life under his lordship. If you haven't done that this morning, I want to invite you to do that. He's done all the work. All you have to do is receive the gift of grace. Or if you have any other need this morning, won't you come as together we stand and sing.